0: The Colorado Equal Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with
1: key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood.
2: Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 155 for the week of March 9th, 2020. Alex, do you have coronavirus? Um, well, Rob, I haven't been tested, so there's really no way to say. Well, I, I think that uh, there is, there's hard to read a news feed right now without coming into, what, a dozen different uh, stories about the, the coronavirus. And uh, it came to Colorado
1: this week, unfortunately, a couple yep. of different places, right? Um, you know, really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make contact with as many people as possible and um, just get this out of the way. Just get it out of the way. It's, you yeah. know, I feel like it's inevitable, so may as well do it now. But they said, I, I read a story
2: today, a projection said that. Uh, It looks like 90 million Americans will probably get the coronavirus and uh, 500,000 people die from it. So that's a big number. That's a it's a big number. Yeah, it's a big number. Well, uh, that's that's not our good news for the week. (laughs) Hopefully we have something better coming. Oh, I I thought that was our good news. And now we're going to talk about security, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Things are going much better. Uh, Before we do that, let's talk about some housekeeping. We have a Slack channel. It's been a very vibrant uh, community recently. A lot of good conversations about coronavirus. Uh, If you want to join our 1,300 plus members, go out to
1: colorado-security.com and click the uh, Slack button. We also have a mailing list. If you would like to keep updated with what is going on with Colorado Equal Security and get the show notes in your email every week, uh, sign up on the website colorado-security.com, and you will get those in your email every week. Uh, we'd also love it if you would rate us
2: and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. I was actually just looking at the Apple uh, the podcast. I guess the iTunes store yesterday and and saw that it's been quite a while since we've had any review, new reviews out there. Uh, the reviews have been very nice. You should spend a minute looking if you haven't, but, uh, but we'd love it if some new folks would go out there and do reviews and help us get new listeners.
1: Sounds like we're going to have to reach out to our Russian bot friends and get get some more (laughs) reviews out there, Rob. Uh, also, you can tell a friend if that friend happens to be a bot who wants to give us a, a, a rating. That'd be great, too. Um, but let people know the great things that we're doing and have them join the Colorado Equal Security community. And th- those are like the uh, the entry-level
2: v- versions of help, you know, telling a friend, going out to right. podcasts. podcast. If you want to go to the advanced level of helping, uh, we could use uh, some support on our Patreon. That's a way for you to help pay for the cost of the podcast. Or we could use help uh, for guest interviewers, those who want to get to know folks in the community and, and help provide guest interviews at the end of the show like we're going to have today.
1: Yeah, that, that interviewee or interviewer is really like the pro level of volunteering. Uh, so now that we got that out of the way, Rob... Um, you know what? We've got some news this week. Did you know that Southwest Airlines has big plans for the gates that they're adding at I DIA? D-
2: I did know. And and I think this is the first time we've had a story from the the guy.com as our <laughs> as our source website. Uh but lots of interesting stuff in this story. You know, there's going to be oh man, what was it? Like 39 new gates coming to DIA over the next few years. Yeah. Um and Southwest is going to get uh, was it 24 of them? No, no, they're going to get uh, 16 of They're going to get 16. I think uh, United is going to get an additional 24 or something like that. Yeah, so 40 new gates, I guess, total. Yep. Um, so, yeah, Southwest is going to get another 16 gates all on Concourse C. And this is going to take the, their current
1: 24 gates all the way up to, to 40. So they're, they're getting a big increase. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was interesting is um, there were some suggestions that there, there might actually, even with these new gates... Um, be some congestion in terms of people wanting additional gates um, that are not Southwest or United that are essentially taking up entire terminals. It
2: sounded to me like, in fact, some other airlines are going to lose gates. Uh, Delta looks like they're going to come out of this with less gates. And did it say Frontier is another one? Uh, Possibly. I know that there was two airlines that were losing gates. Uh, So really interesting. Somehow... Uh, somehow United and Southwest are consolidating their power here. We're going to be a two-party system here pretty soon. Oh
1: man, you know what happens with a two-party system, Rob? Just arguing all the time. No one gets anything done. Um, we really need to save those uh, those minority airlines. So, that, <laughs> <they're> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so <that> was, sorry. <laughs> um, hey, let's uh, move along here. Uh, yeah. Next story. Valiant.
2: A.I. is bringing artificial intelligence to fast food. We talked about this about a year ago, I think this local company that does A.I. Uh, and, and basically they they became the drive in um, helper for Good times, I think over in Golden somewhere, Lakewood maybe. Um, so that was that was the news about a year ago, and it looks like that's been a smashing success with their experiment.
1: Yeah, so I think when we talked about it last time, they were starting a pilot project to try and figure out if this was going to work or not. And yeah, as you said, it sure sounds like it's going to work. Um, they did come up um, with a couple of, of findings. Um, one I, I saw in the article was that um, people like to know that it's a robot that mm-hmm. they're talking to as opposed to thinking that it, it is a person and then when, you know, maybe something goes wrong or, um, it's, it is robotic sounding potentially that the feeling the, tricked, feeling tricked. Yeah, yeah.
2: I can imagine that. Uh, so they have three new offerings that they're going to go to market with. Um, they're, look, they're now that they've been successful with, without a uh, drive-through, they're going to offer one that's substituting voice acted voice activated kiosks for those push button things that some fast foods have put in. I don't know if you've been to a McDonald's yeah. or whatever recently, but you, know, you push your buttons to get, to get your food. Now they're going to do fast food kiosks for that instead. Second thing they're going to offer is uh, voice ordering for products on mobile apps. So if you don't want to have to click through on your mobile app, don't don't worry. They'll do that for you. And the third one is, I, I don't know why this is an AI company, um, but they're going to allow texting from the seats in a stadium to order fast food and beer without waiting in line. So you just go directly and pick it up versus having to stand in line.
1: Sounds pretty cool. Uh, also, the award that we talked about last week for Cody Cornell, who won CEO of the year for I don't remember what the award was. Tech
2: trailblazers. Tech trailblazers.
1: Yes. Yes. So the CEO of this company was the other person that was nominated for CEO of the year. Oh, wow. So this person's pretty good, too. Yeah, exactly. All Uh, right. Moving on. Go ahead. Next, um, the Denver Convention Bureau is on alert for potential cancellations of conferences due to coronavirus. And, you know, we have seen... Uh, not necessarily in Denver, although there have been a few um, you know, throughout the country and throughout the world, more and more large events, conferences, gatherings that are starting to be canceled, um, and folks in Denver are, are paying attention to that. Yeah, it looks
2: like I mean, we actually do have some in Denver too, right? We know that uh, this week the Women in Security national event is going to be canceled. We have that on our list to talk about a little bit later, but I guess I just banged Wait, that out just, right here. Way right? to spoil it, Rob. Yeah, I, I don't bury the lead here. Uh, anyway, you know, obviously there's big stuff coming in and of course, you know I, we're, we're as part of the planning group for RMISC, this is something we have to think about. I, I, I know both of us have a have a strong bias towards going forward with things like this and, and not not canceling. But it, you know, if the state ends up making a decision to close a convention center or uh, or you know there's significant health concerns, uh, you know, I, I guess that, that changes the equation.
1: Yeah, for sure. and luckily for the RMISC case, it is still a good ways out uh, so we have some some runway to to see what's going to happen before we have to figure out what the plan is but yeah definitely thinking about that stuff well we are operating
2: as though the conference is happening we fully expect it to occur and we're continuing to do all the work it takes to put it on all right moving along to our next story a checker we've talked about checker as a as a as a new way to do background checks and they they move their a lot of their staff here to denver checker has hired their first c level executive here in denver um, at the new office
1: they put downtown. Yeah, Tim Craycroft, uh, who is a longtime Amazon executive, is going to be Checker's first chief product officer. Uh, he actually joined and grew Boulder's the Amazon Boulder office three years ago. Pretty cool. So as we've been talking about Amazon growing, that's he's been a big part of that, and now he's moving over to Checker. I'd love I, to see that. I think as part of their move here, Checker said that they're going to be Bringing uh, 1,500 employees to Denver. So that's a, a pretty big amount of, that is of a big, employees. That is a big... It doesn't. I wouldn't have guessed they were that big based on what they do. That's that's pretty cool. Well, you know, somebody's got to do those manual background checks, Rob, with all the, the fancy front-end software. I love it. Uh, next
2: story we have here is from a company called Visser. They are a parts manufacturer for the automotive and uh, space industries, and they confirm a data breach. I, I didn't know Visser. They're a Denver-based company, though, and they serve some really big customers.
1: Yeah, I didn't know them either, uh, since they are a parts manufacturer, you know, you're probably not uh, seeing them as the, in the headlines very often. But, you know, they're making parts for uh, some big and important companies, uh, Tesla, SpaceX, Boeing, Lockheed Martin. And uh, I think this is uh, could to probably be fairly harmful for them because it seems like some of the data that they leaked um, was fairly sensitive in terms of the, the parts that they make. Yeah, it's really disappointing to see. Unfortunate
2: for them, it looks like it was the doppelganger um, ransomware that hit them. Um, and they've they, some researchers found this, and obviously uh, you know got out. Uh, hopefully they can recover and and you know no big, no big impacts to the Colorado um, senior.
1: Yeah, and this is um, of course, the new trend of several of the ransomware strains, not only ransom you, but stealing your data uh, so that if you don't pay the ransom or maybe if you even pay the ransom, they'll uh, get rid, you know drop your data on the on the dark web somewhere. Right. All right, moving along.
2: Our next one, we have a, a bit of maybe sad news. I don't know if it's is sad or you know happy for him, oh, but one of the founders of, of Foundry Group, uh, Jason Mendelson, has retired from the Venturific Capital firm.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure it's very happy for him. You know, one of the reasons that he gave um, in his reason to retire was that the firm is doing really well. So he had taken a sabbatical, and I think you know during that time reflected on on what he was doing there and things like that, and. Everything seemed to be going great without him. So, Hey, why not retire? So,
2: so he was one of the four founders back in 2007 that they got, that brought Colorado really brought us our first, uh, significant venture capital, um, since then the the company has raised seven funds uh, uh, totaling nearly 2.4 billion dollars and they've invested in 300 companies uh, inclu- including a couple of that we know denver's sendgrid and fitbit were two of the companies that they were a big supporter of pretty cool uh, so Mendelssohn, as he's as he's moving on to his next thing he's he's not talking about going and starting a new company or a new fund uh he's talking about getting concentrating more on music he says he's a. Uh, He's long wanted to do you know music more seriously. He's considering releasing a new single. And if there's anyone out there who needs a a drummer or an up and coming bassist, uh, he'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, pretty cool. If you want uh, somebody who could you know potentially fund your band <laughs> as, well, uh, as well as well as play in it, then uh, I think funny. he's your guy. <laughs> so
2: so we're gonna tour in all the back road places, but we're gonna have a private jet taking us there. Is right. that
1: is that what's happening? That, okay. That's exactly I right. Love that. All right, nicest instruments, you know. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, some other good news. Logarithm is breaking all kinds of sales uh, records, including leading to their most successful quarter in company history. Yeah,
2: I was hoping to get in here and read all the details of what that meant. Uh, but you know they are a private company they don't need to release numbers so they didn't uh, but but it's great to know I mean honestly this it really is great to know because it seemed like they were struggling there and call it 2018, 2019 um, to see you know Mark Logan come in and, and help turn things around. Um, it's really neat to see them making a move. I think a big part of their success is this kind of unlimited data package that they're offering. Uh, we've talked about that on the show once or twice. You know, compared to some of their competitors, like a Splunk, where the, the cost per data gets gets quite high, uh, that's a
1: differentiator for them. And it looks like it's been successful. Uh, one thing that I did notice in the article, actually two things. One, there's a long list of awards that they've won. I'm not going to go through those. But the other thing was uh, they they listed all the executives that they had added in 2019. And it was a lot. They changed over CEO, Mark Logan, you mentioned, CFO, VP of Engineering, Chief Marketing Officer and VP of Product. Yeah, so that's pretty much an entire change in their executive suite in 2019.
2: Yeah, obviously, you know, the, they saw a need to make some changes, and, and they have it. It looks like the, the there'd be dividends for that. So good for Logarithm. Hopefully, that continues. All right, uh, moving along, we have an, a story this week from Optiv, uh, and this is a follow-up to the the new NIST privacy framework. We talked about Coalfire's blog on this a week or two ago. Um, now Optiv, Optiv is talking about it and really just talking about how this can simplify the way you look at privacy.
1: Yeah, and the, the article is somewhat similar to Coalfire's last week. I um, I do think that they go into a little bit more detail in terms of the privacy framework itself, um, the components and and how it links to some other things. So. Um, if you are again interested in that privacy framework, I think it's a decent article to give you um, an even more in-depth overview.
2: Yeah, uh, obviously, I do think that the privacy framework is going to be useful. So, getting more resources is never a bad thing.
1: Uh, next, we had a blog from Swimlane, um, which you know was an ode to Dr. Seuss. So we 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 only cover hard-hitting, serious news on this podcast,
2: and this is uh, no different than the normal. Um, big big news we have. So, a do- an ode to Dr. Seuss, uh, and it, we'll call it One Team, Two Team, Red Team, Blue Team. So, if you want, if you want to listen to some uh, children's ish literature, uh, I think you
1: should go out and, and pick up this link. Hey, Rob, did you know One Team, Two Team, Red Team, Blue Team? This one has a little hack. <laughs> I I did know that. Um,
2: I'm not going to read this whole book <laughs> on on the podcast, but if you'd like oh, to, come we on, do, Rob, we can do that after. All right. All right. Uh, moving along here, we have we have another uh, story from our local security team, Red Canary. Um, we've talked about how much we appreciate Red Canary's blog. They do such a good job of going into technical depth that, frankly, you know it. It's just a, about giving back to the community, and this is another one talking about the Heaven's Gate malware on Linux. Um, and this might be something you want to take a look at.
1: Yeah. So um, Heaven's Gate was disclosed recently, but the interesting part was. It was disclosed for Windows, not for, for Linux, and um, it, it's sort of a novel attack in that you're taking 64-bit code and running it in 32-bit processes. Um, I It's one of those things where I assume this exists because it at, on the face of it, it seems like it's something that shouldn't work, so uh, I think probably whatever protections uh, operating systems had in place for this just overlooked it because um, someone thought, hey, well, you can't run 64-bit code in a 32-bit process, so why would we even protect against that?
2: Yeah, that's great, and and I need to to errata myself there. Uh, it's it's not malware; it's a technique. It's a it's a it's an attack technique. All right, moving over. That that is it for news. We're going to go ahead and move over to the Slack message of the week. Thank you to Andre Geda, who's our uh, supporter for this each week. Andre Andre out of his own pocketbook pays for us to give a gift to one member of the Slack community each week who says something we think is worth recognizing.
1: And this week's winner is Scott Bowman. Congratulations, Scott. Uh, Scott posted a link to a cybersecurity scholarship program.
2: It's pretty awesome. So anyone who's looking to get involved, I assume SecureSet would take this, but I'm sure there's lots of other places you could use this money. Um, Really awesome. Uh, Thanks for sharing that, Scott. You'll get one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store with our new logo. Yay, new logo. All right, let's go ahead and move over to the event calendar. As a reminder, on our website, we do have a calendar of events that goes out way into the future. Uh, you can see all the things that might be canceled over the next few months due to coronavirus. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully that none of those will get canceled. In the next two weeks, we have quite a few things that might get canceled. Go ahead, Alex.
1: Yeah, so uh, first on the list, on the 10th of March, SecureSet is doing their creating a virtual lab event. On the 10th and 11th, ISAC, ISSA Denver is doing their
2: monthly meetings, so that'll be downtown Boulder on Tuesday the 10th, uh, downtown
1: Denver on Tuesday for dinner, and then da- the DTC area on the 11th. Um, in a little bit of an ironic statement right now, on the 11th, ASIS is doing their Pandora's Box emergency preparedness considerations. I think that um, will
2: not get canceled.
1: Um well, <laughs> But also, no one will be there because the the preparations for emergency oh, yeah. preparedness are you don't join people in a group.
2: That's funny. Uh, that is irony. Uh, on the 12th, IS, ISACA Denver is doing their March meeting. The 12th also has the Northern Colorado ISSA doing their March chapter meeting. Uh, on the 13th, CSA is doing their CCSK Plus class. On the 18th, DENSEC is doing their meetup. I
1: believe it's at the Rhine House, but you might want to confirm on the website or the Twitter before you go. On the 20th, we have a couple events. There is a lunch and learn GDPR, CCPA, and the extreme importance of data protection today, as well as secure set doing an evening event with a capture the flag for beginners. Awesome. Let's go ahead and move over into jobs.
2: That's it for the next couple weeks there. we at Ping we have a few jobs open. Actually, more than a few. I think we got four or five right now. Uh, we are looking to hire a new one, a a manager of security and compliance. This person will also hem, help us with privacy here at Ping. So if you're looking for you know managing a small team, I think it's about four people on that team, uh, and you'd like to to come join Ping, you know that'd be a good role for you. We're also hiring a a product security engineer for those with a, a development background. And a infrastructure security analyst for those who want
1: to do kind of more operational security tasks. Nice. Uh, Checker, who we just talked about, is heading hiring a head of information security. I think this may be a first person in that role kind of job. Awesome. Um, Cardno is
2: hiring a cybersecurity manager. Zayo is looking for a cybersecurity analyst two. Vertifor is hiring a security analyst one and this specifically says entry level. Uh, the, the new CISO over at Vertifor is a, is a former, uh, is, a, is a ping guy who kind of moved on to run his own program at Steven Edmonds. I think you'll have a lot of fun working over there and helping build out that, that new function. Uh, Slack is also looking for a security analyst. Kaiser Permanente is hiring a cyber risk defense associate intern. So, intern position. We got a lot of nice
1: entry level positions this week. And Transamerica is also looking for an information security intern. I think this is the time of year where many of the intern positions start to pop up. And by the way, I think the Ping intern position is still open too. We haven't we haven't hired someone for that quite yet. So it's not too
2: late to apply. All right. Well, that is it for jobs. That's it for the newscast. Uh, And this week, we have Jay Wilson, who is the CISO from Healthgrades. Jason Jakes was was our interviewer for this and looking forward to hearing what Jason has to say. Awesome. I look forward to it as well. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Mike Kalak, CISO at Western
3: Union. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals.
0: Colorado Equal security. This is Jason Jakes, host of Emerging Tech Fan. Here's a question for you. How does a musician turn into a CISO? Well, I found out when I had a fun conversation with Jay Wilson, the CISO of Healthgrades. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Jay, thanks for being here.
3: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: You know, it's a, a cold and windy and otherwise terrible day, <laughs> but it's still better than the last time we attempted... To do this podcast interview, which was snowing like crazy, yeah, so that, that's a good sign, right?
3: I take a wind chill of nine degrees over you know four or five inches of snow, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: Hey, uh, before
0: we get started and uh, and talk cybersecurity, I wanted to dive into the fact that you're a musician.
3: Yeah, tell me about that well i uh, I've been a musician since I was seven years old well, probably before I was born because my dad's a musician and my mom was a musician <laughs> so yeah. it was it was preordained uh, but I you know decided to actually go into it when I was young um, my my parents had a piano in the house and I just started kind of playing with it and eventually they they said, "Would you like to do some lessons?" I said yes uh, so when I was seven uh, they you know, they put me in lessons and, you know, when you're seven, the world is, is a certain way. You, you can only see so much of it. Right. Right. And, uh, so I, I remember my very first piano lesson. I sit down with my teacher and, uh, sit in front of this large piano, somewhat intimidating. Right. And my teacher says to me, she says, Jay, play something for me. And I, I kind of, you know, gasped, like, what What do you mean? Play something for yeah. me. I, I. This is my first lesson. You're supposed to teach me. It was, that's what I was thinking. I All don't right. think I said that. Um, and she said, okay, play something with these three keys. She pointed out three white keys on the piano. Play something with these. And that was my first piano lesson. It um, was pretty... Pretty amazing uh, lesson for piano, but also pretty amazing lesson for life in general that if you kind of narrow your, your your focus yeah, your scope uh, you can achieve amazing things right in that scope right uh, so I you know back to the music part for a second i I kept playing I still play the piano i've um, yeah, I've played in just the kind of like local band here and there for fun, but not really gotten into anything serious. My intention was never to become a professional uh, musician because it's it's a tough life. I mean, um, I love it, but I'm I'm happy to be a technologist by trade and a musician as a hobby.
0: Right. Do you uh, play more than three keys nowadays on the piano?
3: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I play play the piano uh, and most of the keys, you know, I'm, I'm scared of key 67 sometimes. I have no idea what key is what. No, I'm just kidding. There's no, oh. Oh, I'm not okay. scared there you of any go. of the keys, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I know. no, I play, I play, all the keys now. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I also played some other instruments along the way. I, uh, for, for a few years, I played the saxophone. Um, don't, I haven't played it in years, so don't hold me to that or anything, but I did do that for a while. And more recently I've been trying to get into the electric guitar, Okay. Um so I'm trying to train myself how to actually play that which making some progress. Yeah. Know? Yeah, you know, no, nothing like uh, you, uh playing playing a little Muse, Nights of Sydonia kind of stuff, uh, you know, that that uh rock uh what do they call that stuff? It's like opera rock opera kind of okay. stuff. It's fun. It's fun to play on the guitar.
0: Yeah. Well, I wish I had brought a electric guitar with me so that you could plug in and then uh, yeah. give us give us a tune. Hey, so there's a famous piano player that, that has a connection to you. So Mildred Portney Chase. Yeah. Tell so me the, Tell me the story there.
3: So Mildred, well, Mildred was my teacher. So she oh, okay. So she was the one that told me. She's the one that play said, for play me. three keys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, it, you know, I didn't know this at the time being seven and having the view of the world that I had. Yeah. Um but I remember when I was in those lessons, she handed me some books to read about, you know, improvisation and the like. Turns out she was a famous improv teacher. Yeah. Um, so correspondingly, the, my kind of chosen style uh, on piano is jazz improv. Okay. Um, so. Yeah. Very
0: cool. And then your dad was a musician too.
3: Yeah. He was a prog rock musician back in the day. I
0: don't like, even know what that is. Prog rock? Prague rock, uh,
3: yeah, progressive rock. I mean, back oh, in like okay. I am thinking the so. city. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, never mind. You know, i I grew up on a steady diet of yes and ELP and, okay. and that kind of that kind of stuff. And he he was close to getting signed by a record label before yeah. I was born. It's probably a good thing he didn't, because yeah. I might not be here if he did.
0: You would have had a very different lifestyle. So it's interesting that you uh, you kind of have a this musician background or side to you because. You were born somewhere very interesting, from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That also kind of lines up with that story. Yeah, I talk was, to me about that.
3: Well, you know, there's there's a double irony there. Um, I, didn't, I don't know if I told you about this part, but I was I was actually born in a music studio.
0: Oh wow! Okay, no, you <laughs> yeah. did not tell me that. It was
3: inside the house that we owned, and we we lived in Woodstock, New York. Um, it was not in any relation to the actual in a music festival. I was born many, many years after that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was born inside a music studio inside the house. Um, I was not in a hospital. Um, so it was, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, ironic,
0: but it worked out.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, no, no complications. Yeah. I I think I'm, I think I'm just weird enough. Yeah. It's funny.
0: So then where, uh, where have you spent most of your time? I mean, you obviously live here nowadays in Colorado, but where, uh, where have you, Where's your life uh, taken you?
3: Yeah, I've bounced around a bit in life. You know, I, uh, I, when, uh, when I was a kid, my, my dad was in the entertainment business, so he he broke out of music as a business and ended up in uh, video and, you know, was in post-production. So okay. we moved from Woodstock to Los Angeles, naturally. Oh. Lived there for a while, about seven years, um, and then in uh, nineteen, I think it's ninety-three, moved to South Florida, and I spent most of my time down there in Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Okay, um, that that area of the country. Yeah. yeah,
0: what do you like best?
3: Uh, well, you know, other than Colorado, yeah. What do I like best? I, it's tough. I I really love Colorado. Yeah. I've been here four years and. It's when people ask me what part of the country do you like, I'm like, the one I live in. Yeah. Um which I think is a pretty common answer for right. us Denverites and Boulderites, right? It's just yeah. we, we fall in love with this place. Um but there's there's other great parts of the country. It's uh you know, California's beautiful. If you if you don't have any income you don't have to pay any tax, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Your dad worked in the uh the entertainment business was it tv shows movies what are we talking about here
3: uh, it, was a, it was a bunch of different things okay so he was in that business when we lived in woodstock actually he uh he helped build one of the country's first green screen studios with a with a old-time rocker uh todd rungren actually okay so todd's famous for you know some muzak tracks you've heard in the retail stores that you probably love but you just don't know his name okay um yeah. Anyhow, he's still making music. He's still out there. Um, he's just prolific. He can't yeah. stop, right? Uh, but my dad and Todd built this, this green screen studio, and uh, they were building you know, the studio to do music videos before MTV existed, because this wow. was you know, late 70s that they were yeah. doing that. So my dad would say the, the best thing that ever happened to him is he got to smoke a joint with Mick Jagger when they were shooting music videos. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: How did you get into uh, the tech industry, the security industry?
3: Well, kind of similar to music, it was really native for me. Um, parents got me uh, an Apple IIe when I was, you know, like five years old, and I started playing around with it. And then uh, early on, I, I got into PCs, and I started writing software, I think, when I was 10, 10 or 11, um, and my very first piece of software was a—I uh, I got the PC speaker in my computer to spit out the Empire, uh, Empire Strikes Back theme song, right? And uh, I wrote it in QBASIC. <laughs> you know, back, that was back back in the day. And yeah. From there, I just—I kind of knew innately I wanted to do something with computers. I uh, went to school actually to build. Computer hardware, so my degree was in computer engineering, not mm. computer science, but I ended up you know in software development pretty quickly out of out of college and um, really loved it once I started doing it i I had this misconception that it would be boring. You just sit in a cubicle and yeah. you know keep to yourself and that that sounded boring to me, but when I got into the actual act of creating things mm-hmm. with software, I found it. Exhilarating yeah. um, because you're you were kind of in total control you you were the alpha and Omega to that computer software right, right. it was it was exciting,
0: yeah, the artistic nature, the musician yeah. um, came out and uh, came out in you I yeah suppose.
3: so i I was good at it, I did it for a while, uh, ended up leading teams of people that did it um, and then then it kind of branched into business a little broader um, i at the time worked for a startup and just kind of through timing and and luck, I ended up becoming the, the chief technology officer of the startup. Okay. Um, What's the startup called? The startup was called RMS Networks. Okay. It was a it was a company that built a uh, network of televisions in retail stores.
0: Okay. And
3: uh, it was kind of a, a turnkey agency yeah. of sorts. So we had all the technology to send the video across the nascent internet at the time. We were using, you know, DSL and, and satellites and all sorts of, you know, bu- bubble gum and chewing tape kinds of solutions to compare to today's uh, internet connectivity. Um, and then we also had a video production house in, inside the actual agency. So we, we had kind of an end-to-end solution for clients. It was very interesting to be a part of because mm. you're, you're real close to that creative side Hence, you know, tapping into to my creative side, but also very deep technically trying to solve problems that hadn't been solved. So it was almost like an R&D job because back then you couldn't do these things. It's not like there were predetermined methods for it. You had to right. invent things to actually make it happen. So it was, it was a total blast, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's a startup and some startups, you know, blow up. Some startups, I mean, blow up in a good way. Sometimes they blow up in a bad way. Yeah. It, and so you you go through those those times, and uh, I ended up doing it again with my CEO, uh, who's, who's a complete visionary. We just kind of took the idea and spun it around, and okay, um, started another company together. And
0: uh, what was that one called?
3: That one was called Our View. Oh, okay. It was a uh, it was a digital out of home ad exchange. So the the concept was like take Google AdWords and and you know map it to those screens that we just hung up in all the retail stores sell the space right? yeah um so it was cool we, we built a platform from scratch yeah that company may still be around i, I don't know i okay. haven't i haven't kept tabs on it but the first uh, one's not though first one's not for sure okay yeah yeah because um. i was i was there when it when it sadly how was, was yeah. put to put down
0: <laughs> so was this during the dot-com bubble or when was this
3: it was after. Okay. It was, so the, the RMS network started right before the dot-com bubble. Okay. And then we rode a bubble out, kind of. We rode the pop of the bubble out. Gotcha. And, and stayed in existence, surprisingly. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, our view was like 2010 or so. Okay. And then, uh, and then I ended up at a marketing agency, which was great. Um, because, again, kind of real close to creativity, uh, ended up at Sapient Nitro down there in Miami, and led teams uh, to develop, you know, uh, technical solutions for big Fortune 500s and the like. It was it was a blast.
0: It's it's interesting you mentioned that because I've noticed you have a marketing background, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. How did that? come to be.
3: And yet we're on a cybersecurity channel. Right. Confusing all the listeners right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So what is your marketing background?
3: Oh, well, I mean, mostly just through, you know, adjacency. Okay. um, But when I was at Sapient, uh, they took me through an executive MBA program. And that was a transformative program for me because obviously any schooling like that can be significant for you. But, what they were really focused on is they they took technology folks like me. I mean, I'm a geek through and through, um, and the goal was to convert us to become marketers. Okay. Because the the thinking being, if we're both marketers and engineers at the same time, what kind of power is that that Sapient would have under its four walls, right? Mm. So they they had psychologists, speech pathologists. They had all of these different components to the program, teach us the science of storytelling. It's, it was broad, and uh, it was a year-long program with a global cohort, just like an executive MBA, right, I, uh, would typically, but the focus was in that, you know, reshaping of us into a marketing mindset. So that's my, you know, technical background in marketing now, Okay. Uh, that I came from that. And when I came to Healthgrades, I actually came here as their head of marketing technology, that was my, my yeah. first title was "VP of Marketing Technology." if you look at my yeah. LinkedIn profile. And then I, I quickly kind of ventured a little bit more into the technical and product side and took on our CRM system uh, for or what we called kind of like our B2B software. Mm-hmm. Um, and started redeveloping that and, and delving into the product development. Um, we, we built some new products out of that. Uh, one's called HGCRM, and it's, you know, it's it's a it's a product we're proud of. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, about a year and a half after I, I started that, I I was asked to fill in kind of in a temporary context as the CISO here. Okay. And um, it uh, it was an interesting experience because I did really kind of like my my teenage perspective of software engineering being boring and you sit in a cubicle and you don't interact with anyone. I had this maybe immature perspective of cybersecurity and especially the role of a CISO, right? What we do as being very one dimensional. Um, But the more I dug in and I had this kind of opportunity just put in my lap, right? Um, The more I dug in, the more I realize, this is this is a hugely dynamic role where you're interfacing with clients and your internal clients, and you're interfacing with kind of that policy governance um, law perspective, right? Um, which I I almost became a lawyer too, which is another story. Okay, but you know then you're interfacing with the deep technical solutions and the security infrastructure, and you and then you're interfacing with the the kind of the intelligence side of the business. So if you think about the role, it's really broad. You're, you're playing all these different components. So one meeting or one day you're putting on your client-facing hat and you're, you're talking to clients about the business and and the value that the company is providing to them. And another day you're talking about, damn it, you better make your, sure your password's reset or is it this long or whatever, right? The, the technical right. components. Um, and there's a lot more than that, of course. So it's it's very broad and I've enjoyed it, so I uh, pushed and you know extended myself uh, to try to take this role on in a permanent context and I've really enjoyed it yeah um, I've been this the CISO here for about uh two a little over two years
0: okay no regrets
3: no none, none whatsoever it's it's at times stressful, yeah uh, but every every role is yeah. every role that matters that's I, fair. I, I would say is a little stressful at times
0: yeah i I find it interesting I, I heard you mention uh, something before about being in marketing and how you ultimately switched teams between being the user of data to now you're the protector of data mm-hmm. and i I kind of mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was a very interesting way to put it
3: yeah it's it's true actually, um, because when you're building the product or you're on that marketer side, you're really focused on how can i how can I leverage this asset that I have to do the thing that matters to me? When you're on this side of it, you're really focused on, well, how can I allow the business to do what it needs to do to leverage that asset, but do it in the right way, do it in a way that's you know uh, compliant, that's contractually compliant, you know, ethically compliant. All of those kinds of you're looking at it from a completely different perspective. It's almost like inverse or negative film to the same problem.
0: What do you think marketing people should know or understand about uh, about cybersecurity and uh, and protecting their data?
3: It's it's a tough question to right. answer. Um, it's throwing me those really easy ten ten cent questions there. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, I I would say, as a marketer um, thinking about cybersecurity, it's complicated, and it sh- you shouldn't oversimplify how complicated it really is. Um, there isn't uh, there isn't a magic wand, and data is, you know. Data licensing is complex. Data compliance is complex. All of those things are. So don't underestimate that part of the process when you're using data. That isn't to say that you shouldn't be thinking broad and wide and be creative about how to use it. It just means that maybe you should add that to your thought process a little bit more.
0: Sure. Do you have any mentors in the industry?
3: I've had a few along the way. Um, so I would consider uh, my, my former boss at Sapient a mentor for sure. Um, okay. His name is Scott Petrie. Scott. Yeah. I'll have to send him this link. Yeah. Um, he runs, I think now he's the CTO of North America for Publisys.Sapient. Okay. Um, but, you know, as far as people that have shaped my um, my view of how to lead people and how to manage people in a more servant leader context and in growing me in that way, I mean, leaps and bounds, right? Just, um, and I, and I'm still, I still try to stay in touch with Scott from time to time. He's, he's also probably one of the most fun people to hang out with. Um, so, and we've both carried each other, you know, uh, slightly inebriated before. To, okay. You know, from, from a car or two. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. we, we have some innate bonds, right? <laughs> yeah. When you've been, you've been in the trench. <laughs> right.
0: Yep. We've all been there. Yep. In terms of cybersecurity, then you've, you've now been doing this. You've been in your role for two years. Um, you've done obviously a lot of things. We've talked about you being a CTO, being involved in multiple startups, being in marketing, a musician, how do we get more people into the world of cybersecurity or interested in cybersecurity, including more diversity? Do you have thoughts there?
3: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, I think that a part of it is that we need to think outside of the box from where do where these talented indiv- individuals come from, right? So um, traditionally, cybersecurity has been a very... Uh, it it comes from an infrastructure or it comes from an an information services type pool and you look in that area or maybe compliance, right? Um, But because it's such a pivot role where you're playing all sorts of different uh, roles within the role, I think you need to look outside of of where you would typically look. In in my case, I came from the development background. I think that's that's definitely an area that we need to spend more time thinking about because uh, cybersecurity is leading more into software development, especially at a product company. You've got a lot more challenges, right, for cybersecurity. It's not just about protecting your information systems, I say in air quotes. Yeah. It's about helping those product development teams develop things in a secure way. And, and I, you know, there are many industry leaders here, even in the Colorado market, that are really great at, at demonstrating that. Um, but having that deep, uh, that deep background in, in product development and software development, I think, is a really critical component that uh, we need to be looking more for. I think as far as other areas, um, just being open to talent comes in lots of shapes and forms, right? Uh, it's... I and I think that generally technologists have that have had that mindset, but maybe cybersecurity, being where it came from, more on the you know the legal IT side of of it, has had less flexibility uh, in in how they look for for that talent. So when I was hiring software developers, it didn't matter um, what your resume said if you could do it. If that's I'd hire you, right? right? So I think that. Cybersecurity needs to take more of that mindset of like do you have the raw talent do you have that aptitude and we can help shape people into the into the career path as such
0: yeah yeah, that kind of leads into something that uh that I've heard about a learning academy that you've set up what what is that what's the background of that can you
3: yeah so here at health grades uh, and it's in its infancy. We've only, uh, we've only run through this one cycle here. At Health Grades, we set up a, what we called the Health Grades Learning Academy. And it was, it's part of our overall uh, learning development kind of program set. So we have a lot of different components to it. Uh, but it was, it was largely inspired by my executive MBA program. And I, and I took a lot of inspiration from specific components of that Teaching that I received, and I said, well I, "Well, I want to give back on this." It was um, it was such an enriching experience for me personally. So my focus with the Learning Academy, and which I which I chair here, is really to develop in you know key staff. It doesn't really matter what 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 departments or where the talent comes from, so to speak. Okay, um, is the value of leverage, leveraging storytelling. So no matter what your function is in the company, being able to you know, clearly articulate and communicate things yeah. is a critical skill. And it makes us a better company if we get better across the board, right?
0: Okay. So it's almost like <clears throat> turning these people into marketers.
3: <laughs> I don't know if it's it, quite that extreme. Okay. <laughs> I, I'd say... It's more. I had to go there. Yeah. I to, the goal is not to turn everyone into a marketer. Um, the goal is, is to turn us into a better, more functioning set of communicators, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of other aspects to marketing beyond communication right. that you have to learn. I'm not focusing in those areas. What I am focusing in is the value that clear, concise you know, communication, the science of storytelling components, all of those things matter to people because they're universal. You you could be a software developer and you need to communicate your idea. You could be, you know, an operations manager and you need to communicate your idea down to the, to your staff. It it applies to everyone.
0: What are you learning as you uh, go forward with this learning academy?
3: Well, every time you work with new people, you always learn things, right. which is you know the the secret benefit of, of being um, the teacher uh, always, right? Like uh, the ev- every time you learn something new from each person, m- makes you a better person yeah. effectively as the teacher. If you if you're open to that, and hopefully you are, if you're a good teacher. Yeah. So, uh, from each of the, the students, um, you know, I've learned just great things I, I get creatively inspired by them like just to see the the energy they have in particular ways and shapes and so forth
0: yeah were you ever a hacker in your uh early days let's talk about this
3: <laughs> yes i was okay. um albeit not necessarily a good one which is probably a good thing yeah um in the sense that I never got in trouble because I never really successfully hacked into much of it. I was going to say you got away with it. There you go. <laughs> At least that's, that's the on the record story. Yeah. Um, so uh, what's,
0: what's your story? Let's hear it.
3: Well, you know, in high school, early college, my best friend and I, we, we just like all geeks who wanted to do this stuff just decided one day, well, we're going to, we're going to start trying different Things right. We uh, we had modems and landlines, and we knew what to do with them. I don't yeah. know. I, I, we we tried war dialing one night, which was hilariously stupid. Um, many of you probably don't even know what that means, but yeah, I'm sure you basically, yeah, you basically take your modem and you point it at a you know a bottom set of numbers, and you say, okay, I want you to dial these ten thousand numbers in the middle of the night and try to connect to a modem on the other end. Of course. That, you know, resulted in a lot of angry calls the next morning because we did it in the middle of the night, yeah. and it wasn't very discriminative about who it called. Um, so, that was a one and done. Never yeah. did that again because okay. I'm not sure we were bettering the world in that moment no, in time by calling not. people at three in the morning, <laughs> no, <laughs> with a modem on the other end. It was no, pretty, sure. dumb. <laughs> pretty dumb. Pretty dumb. I don't know. We also attempted to build. And we're not successful, but attempted to build what was called a blue box, which is a set of like analog electronics to insert so-called insert a quarter into the old analog payphones. phones. Um, gosh, what are payphones? I don't even know what they are anymore. Right? I know.
0: Where did they all go?
3: Yeah. Where did they? Is there a payphone graveyard somewhere? I don't know. There must be, right?
0: Because they're like, you don't even see the, the empty little areas where they used to exist. I, I don't know.
3: There's got to be a payphone graveyard. We got to find it. We got to figure out where and, that is and, and find the link and, and post yeah. it as part of this. Maybe podcast. there's
0: lots of quarters out there still. They're ready um, to be collected in the graveyard of payphones.
3: I yeah, I'm not sure, or at <laughs> least, or at least phone handsets. Right. I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm sure somebody cleared out the quarters. <laughs> yeah, fair enough.
0: Is is Ciso here at Healthgrades? What are some of the challenges that you're you're finding relative to? Uh, your kind of niche in the industry, healthcare. Yeah, are these? Are there some things you can talk about?
3: Sure. I mean, I think that, like any um, CISO in a product company, there's challenges in that. You know, your your enterprise needs to develop new product and needs to move fast, and um, that's always a challenge. Just in you know, slowing down just enough to to do security at the same time, right? So there's always that push and pull and tension. I would say in healthcare, especially, there's added pressure and added focus. In our team um, across the board, you know, our executive management team, our our engineering leadership, they definitely understand that. Um, But that doesn't necessarily eliminate the tension um, associated with the sensitivity of healthcare data. And Healthgrades, by and large, handles quite a bit of sensitive data, so yeah. it's um, it's critical that we stay focused and and have that tension in place because otherwise it's uh, it it could yield to bad result, right?
0: Yeah, and you have the added challenge of integrating other acquisitions that you guys have.
3: Yeah, we've been rather acquisitive. Yeah. in the last few years. Is that the word for it? I I, I don't know. If not, I just made it up. Okay, I, I like but, the uh, word. Let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, but, w- you know, th- that always brings challenge to integrate teams, integrate another enterprise, um, of course, and I'm sure a, a lot of the listeners have done that personally. Yeah. Um, it's, it, what's great about it, just like what I mentioned before, is, you know, you learn from the process. So, you know, in in context of recent acquisitions, we've we've got new talent and new staff and some real brilliance on that on that side that we can bring in now into the larger borg <laughs> yeah
0: what's draper bot let's uh, talk about that
3: draper bot uh so i mentioned the executive mba program that uh-huh. i was a part of and like any good mba program there was a, a thesis component right and um my thesis was focused on how do you use machine learning or artificial intelligence with uh, globalization okay and so where i ended up focusing after you know you, you circle around when you get into these big topics and what you're going to write about and and try to try to prophesize right it's to some degree um i ended up writing a white paper it's available on the website draperbot yeah um and the, the focus was on data analysis against uh, global values perspectives, uh, meaning does someone who comes from a particular background, you know, they were raised in a certain, you know, family unit shape, size, did they have a different perspective from someone on another side of the world who, who grew up in a different set of circumstances? And how does that influence how you would communicate to, to someone? Yeah. Right. Do you, do you shift your communication around do you change it etc the the data uh, yielded an interesting result okay which was that we all tend to care about family and we all tend to care about the things we think matter most like family and the, those that we love friends and family right. um, so in a lot of ways um, our core values at the deep heart of it are very similar even though we express them and Wildly different ways across the globe um, so instead of trying to like get into the minutiae of that what I what I broke apart was that the communication device we use the words that we use those semantics there there's still nuance in how we do it and uh, the software so I, I, wrote, I wrote a white paper and I also wrote some software that's on uh, github yeah and uh, the software Basically analyzes a set of words against uh, a graph database that I had extracted from one of the dictionaries, and um, I would take a a set of core values that are published. You could you you could start with whatever everyone's heard of Maslow's theory of needs, Um, but you know I used a different core values set. I used um, these five core values that we all have as human beings: a desire to learn, a desire to bond a desire to acquire, um, a desire to protect. Um, and, uh, what was the last one? Oof. (laughs) It's been a little while. It's been a minute. In any case, it's on the site and in my white paper. Um, and what it would do is it would analyze uh, a website and say, okay, well, this website's angling towards these core values in the tone that it's using. And to prove it out, I would take associated press articles, And I would take the same article on, say, Fox News Mm -hmm. uh, against the same article on CNN. And they should be the same, right? But they're not. They're tonally different. They use different semantics to appeal to different parts of who we are, right? So CNN angled more towards desire to learn and desire to acquire. Fox News angled uh, towards desire to protect and desire to bond, and um, it was it's fascinating. You could take the same AP article and get those results. Yeah. Um, and it was just using it was just measuring a score against how many words off a synonym set. Right. So what did you learn from that? Well, uh, something that we all already know but don't practice, which is it, it matters which words you use and which order you use them. Yeah. Right. I mean, how you say what you say matters almost as much as. The the what you were trying to say part, right? Okay, like, right. So, if if you're if you say it in the wrong way, you, you can it can mean something different, harder to practice than to know. But, it um, is. but it was an interesting result. And again, the software I put the software out there hoping that maybe somebody would extend it and yeah. do something interesting with it because uh, yeah. there were a lot of applications for it. Cause, you could take it and translate things effectively from one emotional state to another or, or whatever, but yeah. have, have the same meaning, right? Yeah. So let's talk about
0: something that, that I know you're heavily involved with a 405D committee. First of all, what is that? Can you explain that to our listeners? Uh,
3: y- yes. Yeah, so uh, some of you may know if you're in the healthcare space uh, or have heard of this. Um, but there's a a government-run subcommittee. It's called 405D Task Group, officially. It's a, you know, they definitely had some marketers on the team when they came up with that name. Oh, sure,
0: of course they did, (laughs) or lack thereof.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's a group of about, I think it's about 500 individuals, such as myself.
0: Okay, wow, that Um, many.
3: Yeah, and we're all volunteers, and the the purpose of the group is to help define cybersecurity standards for smaller to mid-sized healthcare organizations. Um, one of the big challenges is that cybersecurity problems don't really scale in the shape and size of a business, right? So you could be a smaller healthcare organization, you still have all the same you know, constraints and requirements of a bigger organization, right. Ma- Maybe, maybe and hopefully some less, but... You still have to be HIPAA compliant and you still need to have a cybersecurity, you know, position and yeah. approach, even if you're just a single, you know, physician in an office handling patient data, right? Right. So how do you do that? How do how, how can we help people do that in a way that makes the most sense? That's effectively the purpose of 405D. Okay. And um, both myself and our privacy officer, Seth Cedars, are on uh, the, the committee. And uh, we, we attend the meetings and try to help craft some of the, the communications. And um, it's, it's effectively just a community-driven uh, group that's trying to get the right message out for, for all of these uh, smaller, mid-sized healthcare organizations.
0: Is there, have you noticed a positive impact or, or outcome? To the to well, the efforts you guys are putting in,
3: it's early for me. So I joined in Q four last year. Okay, um, but I I've been you know looking through the materials that we publish and they're they're great because um, they take they take a lot of what we do that's technical and detailed and and takes time to learn and simplify it and kind of take it take it down from okay. Maybe I'm not a cybersecurity expert, but I can understand what this what this is te- teaching me or trying to teach me. Yeah, it's still a little overwhelming. I think that's the that's the hard part. Is um, if I were uh, uh, in a, in the shoes of a single physician trying to to manage this problem, it would yeah. be over very overwhelming. Um, so can't solve that problem necessarily, but okay. we're trying to make it simpler. And trying to say, hey, this is how you could prioritize. These are the things that matter most. These are the things that matter next most, um, and so forth. Right.
0: In kind of the single physician scenario, or even a startup scenario, how do they know this information's out there?
3: Well, uh, hopefully, from you know us discussing it is is one avenue. So, yeah. kind of getting the message out um, in every format. Uh, the the government subcommittee is it's a government subcommittee so the government doesn't spend a lot of dollars in marketing and and so forth but the information is available if you google it so okay you know it's out there and and you can download all these materials
0: and non-technical people non cybersecurity people can digest this information and put it into practical use i don't know i it's a good
3: it's a great question and in that could be a component that I you know I end up helping and working on with yeah. the committee. It's certainly probably an area that needs more focus i would say mm. the uh, the challenge is you're you're over here you're you know a one or five doctor practice you know how do you go from running your practice to knowing that you even need to care about this right, right. it's It's kind of a bit of a it's a bit of a jump. I think if you start thinking about HIPAA compliance, you might. You might make that leap because, you know, the organization is intertwined with OCR and Health and Human Services. Okay. So it's funded predominantly from them. Um, so y- if you start going down that, you know, that train of information on the on the government websites to learn about HIPAA, you may see this mm. or you may find it uh, upon a Google search. But if you don't even care, you're you're you know, and you're not thinking about HIPAA, then you probably won't find it.
0: Right. So if people are going to follow you, what should they follow you on?
3: Oh, gosh. I don't know. I guess I have a Twitter account. I'm, I'm not on Twitter too much, but okay. every once in a while. I, I read an amazing article, uh, and I tweeted yesterday, yeah? actually, which is like the first time in, I don't know, six months. <laughs>
0: I'll have to go out and check it out. Your um, handle is... Uh, it's JW Inspire. That's correct. right. JW
3: okay. Inspire. Um, so you can definitely follow me there. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, those are probably the two best places to find me.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Jay, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. That concludes my interview with Jay Wilson. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow and support Colorado Equal Security on Patreon. This is Jason Jakes saying be safe and secure out there. The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood.